This is a podcast of St. Paul Lutheran Church, where we equip every generation to live rooted in Jesus. Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to our podcast for today. I'm grateful that you get to join us again. Um, Today, uh, I have with us another guest. Um, This is Pastor Schultz, but um, joining me today is uh, just a great guy who took some time out today in the midst of a lot of things going on. Um, and this is uh, Dr. Voss. Thanks, Dr. Voss. You're welcome. Yeah. Thanks for coming out um, today and being with us and, and uh, just talking to us about the text and how God works faith that transforms us in our lives. Um, so I know a lot of people, at least at St. Paul, know you, know your work, especially if you're in the area. Um, uh, but some of our listeners won't know that. Um, so Dr. Voss, uh, just for their sake, uh, um, the brief blurb, you're out teaching at Concordia, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and you wear a lot of hats and do a lot of roles um, here. Can you give us just a brief highlight of who you are and, and uh, let our listeners know a little bit more about you? I'm director of the Concordia Center for Bioethics, mm-hmm. and I'm a full professor of philosophy, and I've been here since 2003, so going on to 20 years. Oh. And actually, I plan on retiring at the end of next year, oh. so December 2023. And who knows what the Lord will have installed for me that after that. I plan on working on a book, actually, on bioethics that would be helpful, hopefully, for pastors and for laity, too. Bioethics is simply the study of ethical issues in biology and healthcare. So any life issue, from beginning of life, like abortion, contraception, infertility, to end-of-life issues, like when to remove the feeding tube and ventilator mm. from grandma who's mm-hmm. in the hospital, and anything in between, genetics, uh, stem cell research, uh, just research in general, human subject research. So we take a look of, at all those different topics, and I teach them here at Concordia University. A little bit about my history. I'm a veterinarian, actually. I practiced uh, 14 years in northern Wisconsin in a little town called Bondwell. Oh. And um, I grew up on a dairy farm in a town called Brillian, outside of Brillian, between Potter and Brillian. Okay. And I always liked working with my veterinarian when he would come visit on the farm, which was frequent because dairy yeah. animals get sick a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and I asked if I could ride around with him just to see what vet, vet, veterinary practice was like. So mm-hmm. I rode around with him in his truck for a couple of weeks. He even asked me to help him in a couple of occasions do surgeries mm-hmm. when he was shorthanded. Oh, wow. So that was kind of neat. So I did that in high school and early college. And then I thought, well, I think I'd want to be a veterinarian, large animal veterinarian. So then I, I uh, was admitted to um, University of Minnesota, my undergraduate program in pre-vet, and then it was animal science. Wow. Did that for three years, and then I was admitted to veterinary school and graduated in 1981. And then mm-hmm. from there, I went to Bondwell. Fortunately, or, or fortunately, the Lord had other plans for me. As time <laughs> went by, I, I became allergic to my patients. Oh, uh, so it was hard for me to stay in practice. I wasn't allergic to a cow, but I was allergic to everything around a cow, hay, straw, dust, oh. especially this time of year in the winter when all the yeah. barns would be closed up and all the dust would kind of stay inside. So it seemed to get worse every year, and then I thought, well, maybe I'll have to go into small animal practice, but then I had a complete allergy test done and found out I was also, in addition to all these other things, I was um, moderately allergic to dogs and strongly oh, allergic to oh, cats. no. So then I was thinking, well, should I go into industry or maybe work for the state of Wisconsin uh, in some way, shape, yeah. or form? And then about that time, my pastor in uh, Bondwell actually put the bug in my brain hmm. 
to think about maybe a second career in the ministry. So uh, uh, Leonard Wildauer, who happened to be, uh, I think he was vicar at that time in Bondwell. He was a second career mm-hmm. man. He was an accountant mm-hmm. before he went to seminary. And uh, Roland Goltz, who married my wife and mm-hmm. I, he was instrumental. And then um, uh, Brent Klein as well were pastors there when I went there. So I had been active at uh, at St. Paul and Bondwell in the congregation doing just about every job uh, budget director, uh, chairman of the elders, everything. So they thought, why don't you think about the seminary as a second <laughs> career? So that was a big jump, you know, to move from a city of uh, 1,000, which is Bondwell, although it didn't phase me too much because I had lived in Minneapolis going to vet school, yeah. Minneapolis-St. Paul. But my wife had to move away from her hometown, and um, it seemed like both of us together came to the same conclusion that God wanted us to do something different. So between my health and a desire to serve the Lord in ministry, then we pulled up stakes, sold my share of the practice, and moved down to St. Louis. And actually, my wife ended up living there nine years, and me eight. (laughs) And the reason why the year difference is uh, I went to seminary, graduated Mm -hmm. then, and then a few faculty members at the seminary said, why don't you think about bioethics? Oh, interesting. Uh, as a you know, I'm teaching in the Missouri Synod with my medical training and now my theology training. Yeah. So then Robert Weiss, who was actually oh, yes. a teacher of bioethics yep. in those days at Concordia Seminary, it was a, kind of a, my mentor. And uh, so I started out actually at Concordia Seminary in the uh, systematics PhD program hmm. after I graduated with my Master of Divinity. And then Robert Weiss said, do you know they have a Ph.D. program in healthcare ethics in exactly the field I was thinking about at St. Louis University, Oh, nice! which is down the road. So yep. my, we didn't have to pull up stakes again, which nope. is kind of nice. <laughs> so then, uh, then my, my uh, children could finish high school, which is kind of handy. That is nice. And uh, so then I started there in 2000, and then uh, 2002, then Concordia University here found out about me, Dr. Iyer. Hmm. Uh, I called up Dr. Iyer, and he... He, uh, we, we had lunch at the Chancery Restaurant, and uh, after we had lunch, it's the first time I'd met him, and he was the first director of the Bioethics Center. Yeah. He uh, brought me to campus. He said, have you ever been on campus? And I said, no, I've never been here. So he brought me to campus, and then uh, Phil Mindson, this is over Christmas vacation in 2002, happened to be on campus. And at that time, he was the director of the institutes. Hmm. There were a number of them at that time. And... Uh, and then Dr. Iyer brought me in his office, and he introduced me this way. He said, Phil, this is the guy I'd like to replace me. <laughs> now, Dr. Iyer had been retired by that time, so it's not like I was oh, taking his place. Oh, that's good, at least. Yeah, yep. the, the position sat vacant for about a year. Okay. So I came back and interviewed and eventually started here in August of 2003. Wow. And finally finished my Ph.D. in 2012. That's how long it took me to write my dissertation oh. after I started working here full time. Gotcha. <laughs> I'm working on my dissertation, so that's... Yeah, uh, it's hard to do working full-time, but yes, it got is. her done. Got, got her done. done. So so I teach classes in philosophy and ethics, mm. Christian ethics mm-hmm. and bioethics, and then medical ethics yep. on campus. That's good. Uh, wow, that is a lot of uh, good, fascinating things that I want to dive into. Um, <laughs> we'll have to do this again uh, to make sure we cover all that, but just a couple of things that stood out to me... Uh, in my mind, at least. So you weren't allergic to animals when you were growing up? Uh, I was younger, uh, but then I outgrew them. You know, gotcha. And at that time, they thought, well, you'll outgrow allergies. And uh, it seemed to. 
you know, I, it didn't bother me when yeah. I was in, when I was in high school, I could get into dust and touch animals and be around animals. It didn't really bother me. And even in my early twenties, it didn't mm -hmm. bother me, uh, till I turned 30, then it started being a problem. So I'd been in practice about five years. Gotcha. Then every, every year it got worse. In fact, we learned an immunology class in vet school. Mm -hmm that it's a fiction that you lose allergy, allergies. Oh. The professor told us at that time, you don't lose any allergies, you just acquire them. Oh. And that was the case with me. It only gets worse. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and then as far as your book goes, uh, do you have a path forward, or is it just a general working idea? You know, you mentioned at the beginning you're thinking about maybe in the years to come or next year to kind of mm -hmm. dig your teeth into that. Um, do you know uh, specifically what it might be about? Yeah, uh, well, this spring, actually, I want to get a concrete uh, contract down, you know, by, from a publisher, oh, if great. at all possible. I have a proposal written up. I just have to fine-tune it a little bit. I've, a I've actually been in, t in contact with Concordia Publishing House. Oh, great. One of their editors. Yeah. So I'm hoping that'll pan out because they really haven't had a new book on bioethics uh, for over 20 years, almost mm -hmm. 25 years now. That was actually the book written by Dr. Iyer. In 1999, Holy People, Holy Lives. It's on my bookshelf right behind you. Oh, yeah, good. so he's, uh, and that's the last book they really had uh, about bioethics. Uh, 25 years in bioethics terms is an eon because so many things take place, uh, change, especially in genetics and uh, stem cell research and cloning, all those sort of healthcare reform, all those sorts of issues change all the time. Well, even with abortion. Yeah. Uh, the abortion decision, the Dobbs mm -hmm. decision this summer has changed that issue to some extent. So um, so I want to write an updated version. I want it uh, understandable by, by laity, but especially useful for pastors. So each chapter, so I envision having 20 chapters. Mm -hmm. So in the first few chapters, I'll, I'll go through the basics of ethics, different ethical theories, principles of biomedical ethics, yeah. and then biblical principles, you mm -hmm. know, like the golden rule and Ten Commandments, oh, nice. simple things that help mm -hmm. govern our behavior um, from a Christian perspective. And then I'll try to go through each issue, and then I'll explain each issue like cloning. You know, most people have no idea how cloning works, but you right. really need to understand how it works so you can apply the ethics. That's the first step in making a good ethical decision. I teach my students. To understand to what you're talking about. Right. <laughs> Otherwise, you can make completely the wrong decision. Uh, so I'll explain the issue, and I think being a veterinarian helps me because I'm used to doing that for farmers. Yep. You know, when a cow needed a surgery, for example, I'd have to explain to them why and what the chances were, what the odds are, how much it'll cost. Yep. And you get used to talking in ordinary language, you know, yep. not in medical jargon. So um, I think that's one of my strengths. And so for each issue, then I'll explain the issue, and then I'll apply biblical and secular and philosophical principles to the issue. Mm -hmm. And then I'll, I'll go one step beyond most bioethics textbooks, then I will offer a proposed solution. Oh, that's great. You know, that I think might might be helpful. Yeah, and especially coming from a, a Christian, that Lutheran tradition mm -hmm. perspective, that's going to yeah. be, I pray and yeah. confident, it's going to be a help for a lot of people. Or at least the best way forward, maybe not a solution, but maybe the best yep. way to handle an issue. Uh, so Dr. Iyer before you, and then you, um, and then... Who's who's you in the future? Do we have a you? Uh, not so far. Not so far. Yeah. All right. So we're just... start just starting our search. Gotcha. So we don't have. Uh, we have a few people who've contacted us. Uh, for example, one student who currently is at St. Louis University, who's okay. an LCMS, uh, and I think uh, 
a commissioned minister of religion, like a teacher. I don't think this person is a pastor. Okay. But uh, been in contact with that person. That, but trouble is, he's just starting his program, so it'll take yeah. him a while. But yeah, we've got a couple people that we've met over the years that might perhaps fill in for me. Well, uh, God's going to provide. I'm, I'm confident. I know you're confident of that, and, and it'll be interesting to see uh, where the Lord leads. But um, even after this, you will still do many things. So, yeah, Lord willing, <laughs> Lord as long willing. as I keep my health. Yep. But uh, today, though, we are focusing and uh, want to dig into a scriptural text and look at how God specifically um, used the faith of an individual in the Holy Scriptures and how God still uses faith in our lives to do amazing things. One of the values we have at St. Paul is transformational faith. And uh, the big idea is, of course, that uh, the faith that we see in the Holy Scriptures is not something special that God just did at one point in history. He uses the same faith, even for people today, Mm -hmm. uh, to do amazing and mighty uh, things. So, Look at me. I never would have imagined that I would be here at Concordia University, Wisconsin. Yeah. When I was a veterinarian or when I was a, a student at the University of Minnesota. Never would have dreamed that in a million years. It's just incredible to hear people's stories and uh, see how that all weaves mm-hmm. in and out. Yep. Yeah. Lord has a plan, right? Yes, he does. <laughs> uh, so today we're looking at, uh, for our listeners, the story of Joseph, Jesus' earthly dad. And this story comes from, uh, at least the one we're reading for today, comes from Matthew chapter 1. Um, verses 18 through 25. Uh, if you got it there in front of you, you can read along, but otherwise you can listen to my voice as I uh, read it for you now here in Matthew chapter 1. And you're not going to read all the genealogies? I'm just uh, kidding. Well, <laughs> I'll save that for my That's next guest. That's how it guest. starts. <laughs> <laughs> the son of, the son of, the son of. Right. Yep. It's all Matthew 1. Which yep. is good to know. It is but, good. But yeah, it's beyond the course of, beyond, beyond this thing. <laughs> is there a guest you think I should give that to? <laughs> yeah. Nathan Jaster. Well, he's more into Old Testament, but yeah, mm. Jason Singson. Oh, he'd be good too yeah, with that. He'd be able to dissect that. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Um, Matthew. Tim Mashke too. He would. <laughs> yeah. 1 verse 18. Um, the scriptures read, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after Joseph had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Uh, this is our reading for uh, today, the story of uh, Jesus' earthly dad. Um, certainly lots of things in there, but uh, Dr. Voss, what, what jumps out at you from that story for today? I think people forget about um, the level of faith that Joseph must have had, mm. you know, that he had 
maybe not the type of uh, faith where he would uh, stand on a hillside and preach like John the Baptist, but he had a quiet, intense faith, and he really wanted to know what God's will was, and when it was revealed to him, he did it, which had to be quite uh, shocking to his family and friends, one would imagine, if you think about those days, sort of the way it used to be in this country, where uh, when someone became engaged, at least in biblical times, it was almost equivalent to being married. Right. And you can imagine yeah. that if all of a sudden the woman you're engaged to becomes pregnant, well, the normal answer is, well, she had an affair with someone else. And that would be grounds, you know, to not have the consummate the marriage or yeah. to actually have the marriage ceremony. Well, how are you going to explain but, that to people? Yeah, it's just... <laughs> Uh, and uh, I'm sure he knew Mary's character and knew that she wouldn't lie to him. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that was kind of put the seed in his mind that, gee, maybe she's telling the truth here. But then when that dream, you know, from God came to him, then yep. then he knew that she was right, that that she she had the child as from the Holy Spirit and not from not from uh, outside their relationship. And uh, so that. That strikes me, you know, that he he kind of went against the flow, which is very difficult these days, and did what he thought was the right thing. And um, I'm sure he loved Mary intensely, and this never, you know, maybe a temporary blip in the relationship, but I'm sure he was devoted to her his entire life. Mm -hmm. What's kind of sad, but I guess there's a purpose for it, we never really know what happens to Joseph. The Bible doesn't tell us. He probably died before Jesus was an adult, but we don't mm-hmm. know for sure. We never hear him talking about talk uh, talked about when Jesus was an adult. So that had to be shocking for Jesus and Mary. You know, if he if he died either in an accident or a heart mm-hmm. attack, mm-hmm. You know, we don't know for sure. But probably God did that on purpose because um, the Lord wanted to emphasize that Jesus was His son and right. not Joseph's son. That Joseph was really a stepfather. He was yep. not the father of Jesus. So it kind of took him out of the picture on purpose, sort of like he did with Ark of the Covenant. You wonder why did the Ark of the mm. Covenant disappear? Probably because the Lord knew people would worship it. And so he just got rid of it. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, uh, it's just helping us. Here you go. <laughs> yeah, right. Helping us today. And why is the temple not there anymore? Right. You know, similar reason. So um, he actually, Joseph, in a way, reminds me of my father. Because mm. my father was like that. He wasn't the kind that, kind of a quiet guy. Yeah. But yet stable yep and uh trustworthy mm-hmm. and uh he was a farmer and he did things the right way even if it was difficult mm-hmm. but he wouldn't brag about himself or he wouldn't draw attention to himself he just did it and uh he brought us up uh, with lutheran education lutheran grade schools sent me to lutheran high school in manitowoc mm. I went to manitowoc lutheran high school and paid for it you know, which wasn't cheap. No, and, yeah, you know, especially in a farming income. Right, and just silently did did the right thing. I can remember um, this comment that my dad made about me actually later in life when he was elderly at the time, but hmm. um, he was introducing me to someone whom we hadn't met. I hadn't met before, and he said, uh, "Here's Kevin, my son. He's always a good boy." Hmm. Which, wow, I didn't think I was that good. <laughs> but I thought, wow, that was a cool, cool thing. And those things stick with you. I mean, yeah, they, they still, do. still stuck yeah, with do. you. I'm sure he thought that of Jesus, too. Yes. And, uh, you know, helped Jesus in any way he could. And he did that, actually, you know, in, after our text, where he, he had to not only bring Mary to Bethlehem right. in accordance with the law mm-hmm. in those days for the census, 
So that was quite a trek with a pregnant woman who was ready to deliver. I know. And then everything was full, kind of like up in Green Bay before a Packer game. Yes. No hotel rooms available. (laughs) So where do you go stay? Well, to get out of the elements? In a stable. We'd Mm -hmm. say in a car garage today. Right. In a parking ramp. Yep. That's essentially where, where Jesus was born. And then he, not only that, then when he knew King Herod was coming down there to wreak havoc, then he pulled up stakes and went down to Egypt of all places. Yeah. So he had to do a lot. And uh, he had the kind of career, kind of like St. Paul had, where uh, Paul was a tent maker. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joseph was a carpenter. So he could probably make a living anywhere. You know, in any town, he that could just, nice. if he did good work, people would find out about him in a couple of weeks. Right. So that was, that was again by God's design. So those are some of the things I thought, think of when I think of Joseph. It's a quiet, uh, intensely faithful man. I like what you said about, you know, I think um, I really like what you said about your thought, how, you know, Joseph kind of drops off, at least from the narrative, because he's not the focus. Obviously, Mm -hmm. the focus is on Christ and God is the father. Uh, But that is always just a fascinating point to me. You know, this person that um, uh, that by faith believed this incredibly uh, difficult thing and and it didn't seem to take him too long at Mm -hmm. all. He had a vision, a dream and okay, Lord. And he goes on. Um, and someone who played such a pivotal role in Christ's life, uh, at least, you know, as far as that stepfather role is concerned, Mm -hmm. he, uh, he's just not talked about, Mm -hmm. you know, his parents take Jesus as a, as a kid to the temple. We get the temple story. We know he was alive then. Yep. So was Jesus about 12 years old at that time, something like that? That's my understanding, yeah. yeah. And uh, so we know he was alive then. And then that 30-ish ballpark when Christ dies, mm-hmm. I mean, he's not at the not, cross. Nope. Not, not around. Nope. And obviously he must be dead by that time because Jesus actually asked John to take care of Mary. Oh, good point. Which yep. wouldn't be needed if, if Joseph were still alive. Yeah. So something happened, and it wouldn't be interesting to know. I know. But we won't know until we're we won't. <laughs> so many questions like that. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah. But just an incredible man of faith. And, and again, by faith that he even believed those uh, things. To hear a vision um, or to hear a, a dream um, mm-hmm. and that message from the angel and to simply say, okay, Lord, mm-hmm. um, that is a, an incredible testimony of faith and something that you know all of God's people um, should desire to do because really all of Christianity hangs just on the word of God. It's people trusting that what God tells us is actually true mm-hmm. and um, constantly ourselves and, and Satan and the world wants us to pull us away from that. But God's word is true. God's not a liar. Yeah. And he's going to get reminds us me of Abraham. Abraham was the same way. Yeah. You know, when uh, the Lord asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, mm-hmm. can you imagine what Abraham thought mm. then? But Incredible he did, faith. But he did it. Yeah, but he did it, and we read in the New Testament that Abraham thought the Lord had raised Isaac from the dead. Yeah, when he sacrificed him, so he had full confidence that the Lord would restore back to him what he had promised. Mm-hmm. Just uh, interesting to hear the narratives yeah. and how constantly, from the very beginning to the very end, mm-hmm. people simply trust what God says. Yeah, uh, so. You know, the faith that God worked in Joseph's life, um, it's not a different faith than what he gives us today. So, Dr. Voss, in your own life, uh, just like Joseph had faith and did um, 
seemingly simple and incredible things. And just like Abraham and everybody else we talked about, how is God transforming your life or other people's lives that you see by faith? Well, in my case, um, you know, I, I certainly can't brag that, that I did anything. It mm-hmm. seemed like he dragged me kicking and screaming from one <laughs> stage of life to the other. Uh, you know, literally screaming when a cow, a cow actually broke my leg when I was oh. a veterinarian. Oh. That actually gave me time to think and reflect. So I was actually on cortisone, which is pills to help prevent my asthma at yeah. the time. And Is that uh, right before you went to the SEM? Uh, yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. This, I went to SEM 95, and I broke my leg in 94. Wow, okay. So I was working on a cow, Tremere Hoof, mm-hmm. and she was a big, tall cow, taller than my head, and mm-hmm. she was able to wriggle free and kicked my right leg and broke it in three places. Ooh. And I think part of that is because I was on this cortisone medication for my asthma that weakened my bone structure. At least that's my personal belief. Yep. And uh, the Lord used that time off for me to think you know, about what I'm going to be doing. I, I knew I couldn't stay in veterinary practice too much longer because of my health. So that gave me... So actually, he dragged me from being a veterinarian to thinking about a ministry as a second career. And then, actually, I remember when I was in seminary, attending some of the classes, like systematics and Lutheran confessions, thinking, wow, this is great. I could just sit and listen to this all day. Mm-hmm. And I just gobbled it up. And uh, for me, going to vet school actually was work. It was hard work and... Sometimes not that interesting, you know, when you took anatomy and physiology and histology that really don't have a direct impact on what you're going to be doing day to day. But theology, for some reason, I just, it just was a natural fit. I just loved doing it and loved hearing about it. And I, my, my efforts were blessed at seminary too. So it's probably why I'm here. I and, think so too. And anyone who's listening today, uh, you know, just hearing Dr. Voss's story, he never thought he was going to be where mm-hmm. he is today, and maybe you're listening today. And if you didn't know, uh, there's always a need, especially now, though, a need for church workers. Mm-hmm. And maybe God's going to you know, use someone listening today, maybe that's you, to go to SEM or uh, become a, a director of Christian education or director of parish music or... A teacher. Teacher. Yeah. Or we, a professor. Or pro- bioethics. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We need a bioethics director. And uh, that's one of the blessings of uh, being a professor is that we can actually, you know, see see our courses hopefully change mm. our students in some little way, even if it's a matter of getting them to write better and express their views better. Right. And s- certain students, we can tell right away, are, are blessed. You know, mm. they'll, they'll do great things. And so it's, it's kind of neat to see that the little influence we've had will help them become leaders in the future. Awesome. Well, thank you, Dr. Voss, uh, for taking the time out today and talking to us. I really do appreciate it, talking about the story of Joseph and faith in his life and faith in your life. And uh, I hope we can talk more about perhaps some of your books and other things in the days to come. But oh, there's a lot of bioethics issues to discuss. Yes. So if anything pops up. We could do a whole series. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Um, well, as we close out for today, uh, is it okay if I ask you, would you mind closing us out in prayer for today? Sure. Okay. Sure. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the gift of life. It's something that we often take for granted, but please help us realize that each day is a gift from you. We ask that you be with Pastor Schultz and Pastor Anderson and their ministry at St. Paul, and also be with Concordia University as we make our transition to our new president, Eric Ankerberg. 
that that transition goes smoothly and that you make Concordia University stronger than it ever was before. And the same thing goes for St. Paul to strengthen that congregation and help both entities to do your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody, for listening for today, and we look forward to seeing you next time on our podcast. Have a great rest of the day.